In this episode, we find out about the Silo Art Trail across Australia and one woman's passion to let everyone know about it. We chat camp oven cooking again with Ranger Nick and find out what is on offer at the Country Style Caravan Park in Stanthorpe, who are part of the Family Parks Group. G'day and welcome back to the Adventures on the Road podcast. This is episode 15 and brought to you by On the Road magazine. I'm Shane, your host. Let's get started. The Australian Silo Art Trail is the work of one dedicated Silo Art Trail enthusiast. With the help of one very loving husband who aids in driving her around the country to see, photograph and to help document them all. Hi Annette and welcome to Adventures on the Road podcast. Hi Shane, how are you going? Thank you for having me on. Look, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, this I think is something really different for people travelling on the road. So first of all, tell us how you started this whole concept. Well, it all started in March of 2018 for me. I retired early from my job, literally three days before we hit the road. And on our way out of WA to go to Streaky Bay in South Australia, we went past our first silos at Ravensthorpe. And I got out of the car, got my hammer, looked at them, and I was just blown away by how wonderful they were. And to be quite honest, I could just hardly wait to see some more. Eric had mentioned that there was more out there. He was more into social media than I was at that stage, too busy working. And I thought, well, where are they all? I couldn't find any information on them. So that basically is what got me started on it is, you know, thrilled at seeing my first one and then wanting desperately to be able to find where the rest of them were. Okay. So have you always been into photography? I've always loved it, but I'm definitely, definitely, you know, amateur, amateur big time. I'd like to be better at it than what I am. And I have just got my first new, what I call big camera. But, you know, when we first left, I took everything on my on my mobile phone. I didn't even have a proper camera. So, but there's ways to enhance your pictures to make them look a little bit better. And I take hundreds as well. So hopefully in the end, you know, I can capture something good out of it. Eric very rarely gets out of the car. He stays in the in the bus, I think, in case he has to move or... But he's so good. We'll be driving along the road and I'll go, oh, my God, look at that over there. And he's like, do you want to stop? Do you want to stop? Because it's very hard to stop in a large rig. You've got to have a little bit of notice. Um, and sometimes you can't pull over. The road's too slopy on the sides. And But he's great, you know. He just says to me each day, right, where do you want to go? What are we doing today? Works the trail. So... And he's good. He, he figures it all out for me. You've taken it upon yourself to realise that there's heaps of silos around and there's a lot now that are starting to be painted and, and murals put on them. Now, do you realise what you're embarking on? Well, I think I'm embarking on something that's going to last for many years to come, which is wonderful. It's going to keep me busy for a long time, that's for sure. Keep you out of mischief yeah. anyway. It's going to keep me out of mischief, definitely for sure. So, but it's wonderful. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, I live in a country town in in Western Australia, and we're not drought affected or anything like that. So, 
it's my way of being able to do my little bit for all those towns over there. I can't go over there and, and help them on their properties. It's, it's just one way that someone from this side of the country, in Western Australia, can help those towns over there because they desperately need our help. And that's what really my main mission is all about with this is, yes, I do want people to go out and see the wonderful artwork, but it's more than that. The, the artwork is just the draw card. It's about the towns that create the artwork, the people that have rallied together to have committee meetings and have developed relationships because of that. And it's about their need to attract people to their towns to help them get through these times because not all of them are drought affected either. Some of them have lost like a major, what do you call it, uh, industrial influence or like a big company in the town. They've moved away. So there's loss of jobs. So it might not be drought affected town, but just people moving away generally to go live in the big smoke and there's nobody left. I mean, some towns like Nullawill, the town of Nullawill, he, he, the silo owner at that place, he was more concerned than anything about promoting the one and only cafe business in the town because that's all there is in that town. So that's what I'm about. I'm about, yes, getting people to look at the art, but I want people to know why the art's there in the first place too. Go and have a look at them because they're just awesome, the size and scale of them. How do these towns go about sometimes raising the funds to finance this? I mean, obviously, it doesn't get done for nothing. It costs money to do it. So do the towns have to sort of fundraise themselves? Absolutely, yeah. The the towns themselves have to go through quite a big process to do it. I mean, the first and major thing is who owns the silos. Graincorp own, well, of the 35 silos that are currently painted, they've got a third of the silos. And most of Grain Corps are decommissioned silos as well, even though there are a couple still fully operational up in Queensland. So that's your biggest hurdle. You've got to get past the silo owner. Then you have to get the shire on board. See, because, you know, this sounds terrible, but a lot of shires don't want a lot of people travelling around that area. It might be on a busy road or there might be things to consider about the safety of people pulling over to look at the silo. So they've got to get past that hurdle. And then, of course, once they've got past that, then they have to work out, well, how on earth are we going to raise the money for this? Because in some cases, I would be estimating it's anywhere between fifty dollars to $100,000 to get a set of silos painted, depending on their size and the detail, I suppose, in the silos as well. So, yes, they fundraise. They write to governments and get government grants. Yes, a big, big work for them to do. A lot of cakes being baked, a lot of community getting together. But think of it that way too, that the community is really bonding and getting together to create these wonderful works of art. So it's great for the town in themselves. Now, what, what's the name of the Facebook group for people to search for and look for? The name of the group is the same. It's called the Australian Silo Art Trail. Now, you've, you've got a website as well, and the website address is? Australian Silo Art Trail, or one word, dot com. Well, Annette, that's all we have time for this episode. Look forward to chatting to you again soon. Thank you, Shane.
Bye for now. Bye. Well, he's back. G'day, Ranger Nick. Top of the day to you, Shane. What can I do for a charming chap like yourself today? Oh, flattery gets you absolutely everywhere. Oh, mate. Six, six sisters, I'm, I'm full of it. <laughs> hey, listen, I've been having a poke around your website. I see that you've got a guide. It's, it's a DVD, a guide to successful camp oven cooking. Ranger Nick's Bush Cook Getting Started. Can you tell us a little bit about what's, what's on this DVD and how it can be a help to us novices at camp oven cooking? Oh, look, there's so much information on there on just getting you started, how to control heats, getting to know your timbers and what heats they produce and how they hold coals. Um, there's also information there about charcoal briquettes. So charcoal briquettes like hot shots that you can get from Bunnings, they're very uniform, very consistent, so it takes a lot of guesswork out of the coals. Basically, if you're using 24 beads on a camp oven, you'll get the same heat every time you put 24 beads on the camp oven. So it's a really good place for those who are novices or struggling to control heat to get more familiar with the heat. So it is an educational thing that takes you through step by step. And you'll also see a few of my favourite recipes on there, like a roast, roasted silver side, a treacle bum pudding, uh, and also a uh, brandy chilli and uh, mango crustacean recipe on there. Now, as you well know, Ranger Nick, I'm a bit got a bit of a sweet tooth. So, what's this treacle bun pudding you talk about? Oh, mate, treacle bun pudding. It was always a favourite in our household. It's a very traditional, basic old school. Um, Mum used to make it for us when we were well behaved, and if you have a look at my waistline, you'll see I was never very well behaved. But um, never trust a skinny cook, Shane, I can tell you that much. I agree. Mum, Mum would knock this one up as a, as a steam pudding, but I cook it in the camp oven, and, and it's such a simple recipe um, and having a sweet tooth, anyone with a sweet tooth is going to love it. I like to serve it with ice cream, which isn't a common thing out camping, although these days with the fridges and technology, it's becoming more and more common. But even with a bit of custard or, or cream tipped over, it's a, it's a wonderful dessert. And it's as simple as taking your camp oven and pouring enough golden syrup or cocky's joy, if you like, into the bottom of it. Uh, so that it covers it by about half an inch. If you set that on the heat till it goes watery, and in the process or while you're waiting for that to heat, if you over, be careful you don't overheat it because burnt sugar never tastes good. So just thin it down, and, and while that's thinning, just mix up some self-raising flour, and you can use any fluid, water, milk, whatever you favour, but I often use ginger beer in my baking because I like the taste of ginger. So to a cup and a half of flour, if you if you mix that through uh, with the moisture, so you've got something that's much like a pancake mix or a cake mix, and just pour it straight onto the top of that nice runny syrup, whack the lid on, bit of heat on top, and in around about 20 minutes to half an hour, you can tip that as a self-sourcing pudding out onto a plate or tray and serve it up to the hungry hordes, mate. It, it, it's a real, real crowd pleaser and very simple to make. It sounds absolutely delicious. Mate, those old school recipes have always amazed me. I've heard some beauties in the, in the past. Um, 
running to some of the old fellas and that out around Tambo and Springshaw, and they always never cease to amaze me at the simplicity and the outcomes. Uh, old Tommy, he said to me one day, he said, mate, one of my favourite things is pumpkin scones. He said, I just get a tin of condensed pumpkin soup and mix self-raising flour with it to turn it into a dough, punch those out and bung them in the camp oven 10 to 12 minutes and you've got the most beautiful pumpkin scones you ever wish to taste. Wow, I wonder if um, old um, Flo used that recipe and didn't tell anybody. I'm sure Flo would be turning in a grave to hear that. Um, <laughs> certainly if you take the time to bake the pumpkin before you make pumpkin scones, uh, you get really sweet pumpkin and great results with your scones. But for a simple bushy type recipe, you're not going to beat. You're not going to get a better pumpkin scone than that one. Alrighty. Now I'm I'm a real damper person. I know we've chatted before about dampers. Have you got a, another good one besides that avocado and camembert that we we've spoken about before? Oh, mate, several of them in in my book. Um, there's there's a there's a few in there that I was reluctant to even try, but one of my favourites uh, as an outcome was one that I made from B- Bounce Bar. So that that's a chocolate bar, isn't it? That's just a chocolate bar, your chocolate bounty bar with the coconut inside. Oh, now you're talking. So, yeah, just soften them up a bit and chuck them into the mix. Just a basic self-raising flour and water mix, um, and just yeah. Beat that up or mix that up so so that it comes to the consistency of Play-Doh. Bake it in the oven. Mate, you've got a cracking damper right there. Very quick and easy, simple ingredients, and, yeah, the flavours are always surprising. Uh, you know, play around with the things you like the taste of and you're bound to come up with something good. Yeah, because that's, that's got two of my favourite ingredients. It's got chocolate and it's got coconut. Well, there you go. We're on a roll there, mate. You're going to be a bit of an expert by the time we finish doing these programs. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be as expert as good old Ranger Nick is. Yeah, well, mate, you know, like, I don't know that I'm the be-all and end-all to camp oven cooking, but I like to keep things simple, and it's something that I've been exposed to all my life. Um a lot of the times I think I, I underestimate how easy or how hard it can be. A lot of people struggle with simple things like dampers where I find, yeah, cooking a bit of glue, I suppose, flour and water is not at all a hard thing to do. So things like damper and breads are a really good place to start to learn to control your heat and get your heats right. And look, in no time at all, you'll be cooking whatever you're cooking in the kitchen at home, but... One of the things that I that I do say to people quite often is, look, if you're using your camp ovens and you're getting good results, it might be doing something different than what I'm here to show you or, or, or to how I do it, but if you're getting good results with your camp ovens, don't fix what isn't broken. Keep doing what you're doing. And if that technique that you're using is easier or more straightforward than what I'm about to show you, please come and let me know how to do it because I'm a pretty lazy bugger. I, I like to know the easiest way of doing stuff. So I just like to keep it simple so I can set the camp oven and go out fishing. Set your roast, walk away from it. Because there's a lot more to life than just cooking and eating. Oh, well, eating's certainly one of my favourite pastimes. I have been eating all my life, Shane. Yeah, I'm not against eating. Don't get me wrong. I'm all in favour of it, really. <laughs> but, I mean... It's good if you can, as you said, you can set the camp oven up, put something on to cook, and then you can go and do a spot of fishing. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Look, I, I often do demonstrations where I'll set a roast in the camp oven, and when I do the prep, I explain, well, what I've done with this, I'm doing exactly the same here, and I'll, and I'll use um, cast iron and spun steel as a comparison. Um, it's all about controlling your heat, not necessarily the medium that you're cooking in. So if I can set that camp oven at 10 o'clock and then at half past one it, it comes out and it's cooked perfectly, when I set the preparation, I forget about that until 6 or 7 o'clock that evening when I've packed up and I'm ready to leave. So control your heat and if you get the right amount of heat on, what will happen is uh, you're simulating, I guess, what you're doing in your oven at home where you get this hot searing time and then the heat reduces as your coals burn down. So you get a nice, long, slow cook time. The coals only get colder. So once it's cooked, it's cooked. It won't overcook. It won't burn because you've got the heat right. And if you don't get back to that for six hours, the worst that's going to happen is it's gone cold on you. Well, if you throw a shovel load of coals on the lid of that camp oven just to warm up your meal while you have a couple of coldies or clean your fish, no time at all, you, you've got a nice meal to tuck into whenever you like. All righty. Well, thanks for that, Ranger Dick. It was great to catch up with you again. You um, have a good time out there, out and about. Mate, always having fun out here. It's a beautiful country. I can never believe some of the places I find to camp and fish and, and uh, yeah, just enjoy life in general, mate. It's certainly a great lifestyle to be travelling on the road. All right, mate. You take care. Chat again soon. Bye. No worries, brother. Well, if you're travelling through Stanthorpe and you want a really good caravan park to stay in, I think I've got the answer for you. I'm chatting with Kim, the owner of the country-style caravan park here in Stanthorpe. G'day, Kim. G'day, Shane. How are you? Good, mate. Really good. So tell us, the country-style caravan park, why should we come and stay there? <laughs> okay. Firstly, we are on the highway, so you don't have to uh, track off to try and find us. We're coming from the north. We're just on the south side of uh, Stanthorpe at a little um, locality called Glen Aplin. So we're about 10 kilometres south of Stanthorpe and uh, coming from the south, we're about 40 minutes north of Tenterfield. So we're about midway actually between the uh, wine region of Ballandine and Stanthorpe Township itself. So we're ideally placed about 20 minutes away from the Giroin National Park. So not much more that you need. No, that's a good spot to be. So what are the facilities like at the park? We run a range of uh, cabin accommodation, uh, en-suited, en-suited with uh, air conditioning, reverse cycle air conditioning. Air, uh, we have cabins with uh, wood fire heaters for the winter months. Um, we've got uh, non-en-suited cabins for those who want a bit of glamping. And uh, then we have, of course, the range of powered sites and unpowered bush camping. And uh, if we're lucky enough to have the river flowing, then we actually have uh, riverside camping down the bottom of the park. All righty. What about pets? Can we, could we bring Fido along with us? Um, yes, you could bring Fido along. We're quite happy to have uh, well-behaved pets. And, of course, we prefer well-behaved owners of those pets, people who are prepared to follow their pet around and uh, pick up where necessary. Uh, we would hope that uh, the pet, of course, has its uh, full vaccinations up to date. What about big rigs? I mean, there are some parks I know that you can't take big rigs into. What about your park? How is it for, for taking in big rigs? Uh, our park's actually been pretty well designed uh, from when it was first conceived back in 85 and we can take uh, some quite quite large rigs. Uh, I don't think that we've ever had a rig come into the park that we couldn't fit. So, uh, And that's on our powered sites. Of course, if you go into the unpowered area, being a 12-acre park, 
uh, there's plenty of room. We'll, uh, we take them all, and as I said, be it uh, bush camping, uh, when the river's flowing down by the river, or whether it's bush uh, camping on a powered site, we're quite happy. All right. So what's, what's your actual website? Uh, the website of the Caravan Park, www.countrystylecaravanpark.com.au. Should they book with you? Well, it really depends on the season, Shane. At the moment, we're in the process of putting up our new website, and this, this website will actually have a, um, an online booking facility. So you'll be able to see at any instant what's available, be it now or be it in the future, and you can then take advantage of any of the specials that might uh, also be up on the website at that stage too. Okay, look, thanks for popping in. Thanks very much, Shane. Bye for now. Cheers. Well, that's all for this episode. We would love you to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook, or visit adventuresontheroad.com.au for more on this and other episodes. Thanks to our sponsors, On The Road Magazine. So until next time, I'm Shane. Have a safe journey.